it's Mondo hot, but still animation celery. Boiling conversations about searing cartoons. We're the world's most fearsome fighting 40-somethings. Whoa. I'm Matsy and I lead. I do machines, if you know what I mean. I'm Micah, or you can call me by my battle-toed Sona, Eczema. <laughs> so, <laughs> we review and discuss cartoons here. Most of the time, we give each other secret assignments. But I really like these shows where we trust it all to the roll of a dice. So we rolled random episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original 1987 cartoon we're talking. And we're going to rate each one out of five. See, hmm. we take random samples of some of these old cartoons, aggregate them, and we get a value of how good the series really is. So, that'll be gnarly. First, we news it up, of course. Uh, Matsy, what have you got? All right, let's see. First of all, you got me so curious that I had to just skip ahead and watch the last episode of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. You can watch it on its own, I think, yeah. Yeah, you can. No, I, I wasn't lost. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see what the ponies looked like all growed up. Okay. And that was fairly amusing. Um, I wanted to see how they were shipped because you teased all kinds of shipping and you teased that Rarity was the spinster. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I don't know that Twilight has anyone. No, maybe Dash Sentry, you know, <laughs> maybe it just wouldn't work with him working for her now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think, you know, the Pinkie Pie's obvious. Like they, she's got a kid. Like you know, you, hmm? the the two ponies that come out of Sugar Cube Corner, I wasn't sure who they were at first. I'm pretty ah. sure one of them is the is the cake unicorn child who got married. I think they both are. I well, at I, least I I no. only caught a glimpse of them like during a musical number, I think. So, yeah, I, I kind of assumed it was both cake kids. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. I don't think I didn't see the wings on the other one. So I don't know. I I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But anyway, Pinkie Pie's obvious. Like she's yeah. she's definitely you see she has a kid and you see who she's with. And Gummy too, the pet you, the only pet you get oh, to see. I missed that. Shoot, you now did. I gotta, now yeah, I got to go back and watch it again. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, Rainbow Dash and Applejack. It's not explicit, but it's heavily implied what happened to them. It's sort of voice actor cest. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, Raven was I, I showed it to Raven and she had a, a hearty yes when that happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Fluttershy, I'm not sold on. Neither am I, I. I don't get that one. Yeah, I don't well, I don't even think she's in a romantic relationship. No, like, you just I, you just, I don't you just think, think he lives there. Yes. Yeah, I actually went back just before we started recording. I went back because I wanted to see what was on the lunch bag that Discord gives Fluttershy. Yeah, because I was like, if it's a heart, then we know what's up. Oh, it was okay. just a little it was just a little picture of Fluttershy in a sunshine. So, you know, well, and, and Discord didn't say anything because they couldn't pay John Delancey the kind of numbers Picard does. So, oh, he's he's know. in the. The uh, climactic two episodes, though. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they only have so much they can pay him. Have you ever watched, uh, you know, Jenny Nicholson? 
Uh, that name sounds familiar. I can't place who she is. Uh, she's an entertainment YouTuber, and I've I've talked about her about her before. That she does she has hilarious videos. She okay. she reviewed all the Land Before Time direct to videos <laughs> during the <laughs> pandemic. She she's great. Okay. But uh, okay, um, she was like a big figure in the pony fandom, like producing okay. video videos and stuff. Um, all right. And so she has one video that's like uh, uh, PonyCon, the long-awaited autopsy, I think it's called. Okay. And she just excoriates John Delancey. <laughs> she calls him the rudest celebrity that she's ever met hmm. <laughs> and accuses him of never having watched My Little Pony ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I, I can enjoy the art anyway. Anyway, so you're, you're talking about the end. I just want to get it in. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, I was it was all right. I I didn't get as emotional as you. Maybe I hadn't because no. I hadn't invested as much. No, but I did. I did appreciate the very last scene, like the very way that it ended. Sure. So, yeah, that was a that was a I think that was a pretty decent finale. I like the way that Twilight looks in her full godhood. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like she she looks pretty cool. Mm. Um, what else? Um, I saw that Netflix has a new animated series called Farzar. Okay. So I picked a random episode and skipped into the middle to see what it was, what, yeah. you know, what it was like. Just right in the middle, right in the middle. Interesting. Um, first thing I saw was this female character who's like, she's like too bad from He-Man, where she's like, she's not just two headed. She's two entire halves of different women stuck together. And Oh, okay. Yeah. And one of them had lips that really reminded me of the mouths in Big Mouth. Ew. So I went, oh, no. Did they give these people another show? Huh. So I did two things. I looked up who made Big Mouth. And I went to the beginning of that episode to see the opening title where it would inevitably say created by blah and blah. <laughs> blah and blah. So Farzar is one of those shows that has like a few minutes of stuff before the title sequence. Okay. So I actually uh, got to see, in addition to my glimpse in the middle, a few minutes of what the show was. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the title shows that it's not the people who made Big Mouth. It's two names that I didn't immediately recognize, but okay. But before it got to that point, I saw enough of the show to determine, A, it looks like every other animated series, and mm. B... The comedy style and the pacing of the animation is like directly emulating the works of Seth MacFarlane. Great. <laughs> so it's Family Guy in space. Oh, I, I, until you said space, it's just Z-A-R, right? I've seen like, is it like uh, the Russian ruler kind of far czar? It's F-A-R-Z-A-R. Okay. Anyway, moving on. I watched the fourth episode of Yuri Deco. Cool. And now what I've realized is that this is the point where the series actually gets to its point. The first three episodes were just set up. Okay. Because it episode three leaves at a cliffhanger. Mm. And then episode four is Barry writing in her diary about what's happening now. Because it turns out that the first three episodes were just to kind of set up, you know, what the world is and... That there's this uh, zero phenomenon and a being called Phantom Zero that may or may not exist. And this person named Hack, 
who uh, is apparently a yure, a ghost who is unregistered information, an unregistered being. Turns right. out there's a bunch of these unregistered beings. And the little crew of Barry, Hack, uh, Finn, the leader, uh, a black guy with huge lips and an even bigger afro named Hank, <laughs> and a robot named Pop, are a detective agency. And they... um. They in, so this is kind of a surveillance state I mentioned where, you know, upsetting information is deleted by authorities, the customer center, I think it's called. Mm. So as to avoid um, making people unhappy. And so this you're a detective club. Uh, they handle jobs that, you know, when people are unhappy like the customer center doesn't, you know, go out of their way to make them happy again. It just deletes the unhappiness. Right. So like the example here is that this this dorky guy comes in and his daughter is missing. And he shows a picture of his daughter is like, this is her. Oh, I'll give all the love I have to get her back. And Hack immediately gets into his tablet is like, oh, you're lying. It says you're not married. You don't have a daughter. Hmm. This is your avatar. Turns out that this nerdy guy who is so nerdy and dorky that he only has 26 love to his name uh, goes out in public in the guise of a cute little girl and Mm. his avatar is gone. And so Barry takes the job and, you know, she goes out to find this avatar. And, you know, obviously there are like threads of a deeper thing going on that she discovers along the way. Uh her parents' job, you see, is they're some of the moderators who delete unhappy stuff. And they're in a sticky situation because their daughter has apparently died. And so they're like, well, we have to cover up the fact that a girl died, but also yeah. that girl is our daughter. So, yeah, and they're still tracking down the zero phenomenon and all that. stuff. So they, you know, they figure out their Well, they don't figure out anything yet, but there's like something's up. So that's the main development of episode four is it's a detective agency. Sounds like there's a lot of potential for some profound stuff in this. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, like about dealing with pain and the like. Sure. Like the value of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I'm still on board with it, you know, like it's still got that cute, you know, uh, look that I appreciate. It's got a cool story. Um, hack is, aptly named mm-hmm. <laughs> for, you know, like the, the weakest, right. You know, it's just, Oh, it's a girl that looks like a boy and is good at computers. This is named hack. Like, yeah, okay. okay. Hmm. But, um, does, but you know, you know, the thing about, <laughs> they never sound enough like boys for me to be immersed and think, yeah, everybody mistook this for a male character. You well, know what I mean? You know, I mean, it's, this person is young enough that even if it was male, ah, a female okay. would still be voice acting. Sure, sure. Okay. So, you, you know, anyway, when, you, yeah, bit, mm. when you mentioned this last week, it reminded me of an RPG, tabletop RPG that I haven't played, you know, like most people, most of them. Um, yeah. But when I heard about it, it charmed the pants off me. It's yeah. so similar. Um, you, you play as denizens of an orbital ring. Okay. And it's, it's a similar thing where everybody 
uh, essentially has Google Glass on, you know, where they can it's see right. everybody's profiles and, you know, their their, their social information. Um, and the, the currency there, I think, is called flow. And it's the same kind of thing where you're just generally causing goodwill in order to gain this currency. And mm. I thought, like, I love that idea. Oh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't mention the game. The game is called uh, Free Market. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I love the idea of doing that as a role-playing game, right? Where you're just, like, doing favors for people or just, you know, just generally making lives better. Um, yeah. And it also has some interesting aspects to it. Like, I like that uh, your age is kind of your class. So if you're playing an older uh an older citizen of the area then you have more practical skills um mm -hmm. but if you're younger then you have more like genetic and cybernetic enhancement oh okay yeah it's kind of interesting um yeah, yeah. where it, the mechanics i didn't like and i'm just picky right it's like oh this is yeah. so charming i didn't like the mechanics very much so just i'm never, never gonna play this <laughs> you know yeah. but yeah. uh um and also this is like at a convention and it wasn't the main guy at the booth. I guess he was off and I was I was talking to someone else. But when he demoed it for me, it didn't really feel like, you know how these games are like, maybe it's what I bring to it when I when I hear about it, that I think, oh, this is going to be a thing where, you know, I I go to the junkyard and I find a hermit and I find out that <laughs> he needs something that he lost at this canyon. Then I go to the canyon and then I do this for this other guy and it changed. But instead, it was just what he demoed was kind of like, you know, I'm a private eye chasing this guy and we jump from car to car and shoot at each other and stuff. And I thought this is oh. very this is very standard role playing game. <laughs> but right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe it should have been an anime. Well, yeah, this rescued yeah. now. Yeah. 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 Uh, I like Barry. I like, so her new outfit, cause she was, she was just wearing this like pink jumpsuit, but she had this like sweater dress avatar over it. Like, cause that's the hey. thing you, you can make your clothes look like whatever you want. So, and it has oh, this yeah. slight glow to it. But now that she's a detective and she doesn't have, well, they they don't have access to the deco, but they've hacked in, so they do anyway. Like, underregistered citizens aren't supposed to. Yeah. They've hacked into the system. And so now she's got these, like, you know, overall, orange overall shorts and mm. red cat, you know, like a, almost like a misty sort of thing. Okay. Um, but I like that her cap, she has this action that she does where she can, she wears it backwards, but she swings it around and then... On the business side of it, it's two things. One, it covers up her broken deco so okay. that she can only you can she can see deco things properly and oh, okay. it activates and it activates deco camouflage. So she's invisible. <laughs> she's sort of like Misty and Ash yeah, flips the yeah. cap around when it's time to get down to business. That's right. Yeah. Um. The whole thing, I, I thought. She gets this <laughs> Hank is the inventor guy and he makes this robot dog cleverly named Doggo. Hmm. Uh, and I'm like, doesn't that kind of give away the point of being invisible? If you have this robot dog following you around and hmm. or apparently it can like sniff out data or something. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's it's a cool little thing. I'm I'm still enjoying your a deco. It's a hmm. it's it's ongoing. Uh, 
Is there anything else? Let's see. I I watched My Little Pony. I dismissed Farzar like any well-meaning human should. Hmm. I watched you. No, that's it. Okay, what do you got? I got a few things. Um, did you ever watch Project Echo? That this sounds familiar. Like high school, probably. Um. Mm. So I, I recently watched. I've mentioned this this YouTuber before, Kaiser Beams. Mm-hmm. He. He reviews like classic Western cartoons, but he also does um, uh, his segment Kyoto video where he talks about anime, mostly of like the 90s. Um, and so in in his Project o- Echo uh, focused video, he gave a lot of information and kind of placed it in the scope of what it means for anime in the West. So like people talk about Akira, of course. Yeah. But Project Echo in its way was just as influential. Um, hmm. So what it is, it's OVAs. Um, the first one actually was a theatrical release, um, actually. But uh, the premise is that it's a future city kind of place. And um, there are three girls that go to the same school named Eiko, Biko, and Seiko. Okay. It's it's sort of like a uh, a saying about how girls come in different types and Aiko that is like this and a Biko that is like that and Seiko. So Aiko is a uh, like a standard good girl and Biko is like a uh, a selfish talented bad girl and Seiko is childish. All right. Um yes, boy. the three types of girls there are. <laughs> Limited to that. <laughs> I, I well, I, I it's a Japanese thing, I guess. Um yeah. So blood types, uh, you know, blood types. Where's Oko? Yeah, uh, <laughs> they're blend a Biko. So uh, Eiko and Seiko are friends. And when they start attending this high school, Biko becomes obsessed with Seiko and further realizes that Eiko is her childhood rival as well. Huh. And so uh, starts staging obstacles to get rid of Eiko at, so she can have Seiko to herself. When she's like an, a, a a rich, um, inventive genius. So she makes, you know, big robots and stuff to fight Aiko every day before school. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 cute, funny satire. Um, and then it all dovetails into an alien invasion. It's crazy. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Yes, yes. And Kaiser Beams covers it really because the production of this thing came out of nowhere, too. So, uh it kind of begins with Mamoru Oshii, one of the greatest animation directors. He he made Ghost in the Shell. He directed it anyway. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but before he was doing uh, morose mecha theatrical movies, he hmm. did crazy off-the-wall stuff like Lum before, and he had apprentices that went on, and a lot of them went on to do Project Echo. So there's just like, okay, there's a step in between. They were producing a series called Cream Lemon, which was like etchy, not quite hentai, but also mm. way too good to be like softcore pornography. Right. It wasn't like a regular series. It was just like different things all the time. You know, like this is going to be a, a, a space thing. This is going to be like a Wild West mecha thing. Right. Um, okay. And then Project Echo was just going to be one of those. But it just ballooned. Right. Where it just got bigger and bigger. And then, you know, the company thought, you know what? Maybe this should go to theaters. And then the budget went way up, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of like 
you know, they they just started storyboarding it and everything went in, including Alien Invasion. Right. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, so this is a good video about it. But for people who haven't seen Project Echo, I say absolutely go back and watch Project Echo. And, you know, if you like it, Project Echo 2, Project Echo 3, if you're really committed, Project Echo Final, and no matter yeah. how you feel about it, avoid Project Echo versus Battles. But um, for me, really formative. You know, back in the day, we didn't have um, streaming services. You, oh, bet, yeah. you bet we watched our... Uh, videotapes and CDs. Oh, well, uh, DVD. No, CD. Anyway, we watched them over and over again, whatever media we had, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love Project Echo. And such to the extent that if I was asked what my favorite director was, there's a chance I might say Yuji Moriyama, who was mm -hmm. the animation director on the first Project Echo and the overall director on two, three, and final. And, like, people would say, who the heck is that? Because um, I, it diminishes him to say he's like, you know, a Yaleman, right? But he's like, um, he did a lot of OVAs. He did a lot of comedic action stuff. And uh, as I say, back in the day, you you rented what was there at the video store. And they, a lot of the anime OVAs that were brought over, he had a hand in. So um, hmm. I really love it. I love his designs. I love his uh, comedic stylings. Now, Project Echo is very much of its time. Um, but when you define an era, you, of course, are going to be of a certain time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say that uh, it's not pornography, but there are a little there are some boobies. There is a lot of panty shots. Like I say, it's, a, it's of its time. But right, right. Funny and fun. Um, so yeah, the Project Echo. Uh, also, I watched the Dungeons and Dragons fan made final episode Requiem. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we reviewed Dungeons and Dragons cartoon recently. Um, yeah. Now a script was made for a final episode, but it was never animated. Uh, I'd read the script, but. Uh, Ryan and Michelle Need and Michael Hubbard actually patched together a final episode, a visual for the script. Um, now, what they did was they took character animation from various episodes and composited it on different backgrounds or together. Okay. So right. sometimes it looks a little weird because, you know, it's a little fuzzy on the outline or... Uh, because they've had to change the size of the character to correspond with something else. Mm -hmm. um, but still, I mean, a lot of effort. Uh, and then, you know, they they put little other embellishments that are easy in a modern era. Like, the ultimate monster in it is an ooze. <laughs> so <laughs> that got some, you know, so a little computer animation ooze stuff in there. Um, <laughs> the storyline of that final episode is that at the beginning, um, Dungeon Master gives them a little aid so that they can escape a three-headed dragon. And then Dungeon Master has a meeting with Venger, and Venger says that these children wouldn't succeed if they didn't have Dungeon Master as their safety net. Hmm. Um, so they make a, uh, a wager that if Dungeon Master 
doesn't help them that they will still succeed. And it's winner takes all. So Avenger wins, the kids all die, and he gets all their magic items. Um, <laughs> so the, they go a step further on this in that... Um, Oh, wait, I think I screwed some stuff up here. I think Dungeon Master doesn't help them with Three-Headed Dragon. I think that's the point. So the, the, that uh, they lose trust in him, right? That he's just like, you know, figure it out yourselves, right? Uh-huh. And then Ven- additionally, Avenger approaches the... Avenger, that is, Avenger approaches them and uh, says, like, things are not so black and white, right? That like, I'm not really evil and Dungeon Master has been literally a Dungeon Master, basically just running you through his gauntlet. <laughs> um. So, I have a quest for you. You have to go to the end of the realm, find a cenotaph, this like tomb, and find the key in it, and then cast that key into the abyss, and then you will find your way home. Hmm. And the the group gets divided on this. Um, let's see, it's uh, Eric, Sheila, and Presto decide to follow this, whereas Hank says you can't trust Venger, right? This, right. this is nonsense. Um, so the, the group of three that decided to go on this quest, um, they animate a ship to make it fly. And in the meanwhile, Diana tames a dragon so they can keep up and hopefully get ahead of them to prevent them from doing this, right? Um, so this is like all like rivalry and a falling out, which leads to one funny thing where like Hank demands that they stop the quest. Uh-huh. And... He says, like, I'm going to put the ship down. So he's, like, firing his bow at it while they're over a volcano. I don't know what he meant to do, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, I guess he meant to damage the ship so it would safely drift down or something. <laughs> but Eric deflects it with a shield. The uh, energy arrow incites the volcano to erupt and engulfs the ship in flames. <laughs> and, oh, boy. Uh, so later on, when Bobby's, like, lamenting that his sister is dead... Hank says, I'm sorry, Bobby. It's all my fault. Like, no kidding. It's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. Anyway, the, they don't die, right? They they, they all end up converging at the tomb. Um, and they're still not in agreement, but it's kind of like they have to work together because they're being attacked by this invincible slime. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, the... They get to the point where uh, Eric, even though Avengers there fighting with them, Eric and Hank are struggling over the key because there's a door that that key can be put in. But of course, Eric's uh, uh, headstrong on throwing it into the void. Right. Uh, in the end, it seems like Hank falls into the void and Eric feels guilty. And in order to honor his friend, uh, puts it into the door instead, which is mm. the right solution. And it's and it frees Venger from his corruption. Reverting him oh. back into, yeah. Well, I think you knew this, right? That he's Dungeon Master's son. Yeah. Spoilers spoilers for this uh, 1983 series. Um, so, or 85, whatever. Um, so he, he reverts and becomes good. Uh, and the portal opens to go home. Now, I read the script a long time ago. I think it doesn't give a definitive answer if they go or not. Like, mm. maybe they do, but also maybe there's a season four. I mean, they never even made the episode anyway. But uh, these fans decided to just give it an ending to where most of them go home. But when Bobby worries, like, oh, 
Uni, who's going to take care of you? Presto Ventures, I am. I'm going to stay. I want to learn how to be a real wizard, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And he reunites with Varla, his love interest from a prior episode. (laughs) Um, Now, one thing about this, um, when we reviewed the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, I at first thought Presto was the apprentice of Elminster from Faerun. Okay. And then I realized, no, 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 wait, that's a different guy. But I've since found sources that indicate, no, they might actually be the same guy. Because because Elminster Elminster's apprentice is from Earth and has a hat of magic something or other. So, you know, like, yeah, I think he's the same guy. Interesting. Yeah, he's like officially in D&D lore. Yeah, whoever made Forgotten Realms went... Oh, we're going to put it in an Easter egg. Yeah, not that the D&D cartoon looks much like the Forgotten Realms, but... Well, no, no true. Well, Actually, you know, I, think- I mean, it, like, yeah. Faerun, the whole deal of it is it's kind of one explored continent and nobody really knows what's in the rest of the world, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, there are other continents and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I watched it. It's, it's not like the ideal way to watch Dungeons and Dragons, right? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> but uh, hey you know it's kind of topical because the uh the, the movie trailer came out recently but anyway it, it's, it's interesting and i think i think they made a good ending for the show oh by the way they don't keep their magic items when they go back that kind of sucks uh okay like hmm. uh well i guess presto would have had the best one in the real world but yeah. well kind of except it never no, works Sh- sheila sheila would have the awesome one in the real world Oh, although, the invisibility. Yeah, although yeah. she doesn't use it enough anyway when she really needs it, but... Mm, yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, so anyway, I did that. Um, uh, one more thing. I finished the first season of Lost in Oz. No, oh, okay. I, pa- I powered through the final episode before we started recording, just so I could tie a bow on it. All right, what you got? Um... I mentioned that Languadir is the mastermind mm-hmm. and she's she's a witch, right? But in the book, she's not a witch. She's a princess who changes her heads. Right. Um, but fine. OK, whatever. They've they've repurposed her. However, I think it would have been neat had they kept that head swapping thing in there. And to my disappointment, there's a point in the plot where it made sense for her to change heads and there's something else instead. Yeah. Disappointing. They should have changed because it's so it's cool, <laughs> and it would have been shocking too because it was like the the event is a cliffhanger for an episode. What better cliffhanger would have been than have her take off her head and put on a different head? Oh well. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, there <laughs> in the climax there is a skybound witch fight, which kind of reminds me of the end of Masters of the Universe Revelations. Okay. It, Except I like this one a lot better because, well, for different, for, for one, I like these characters more, so I'm more invested. Um, Mm. And also the uh, Revelations one felt a little more Dragon Ball (laughs) Z-ish, whereas this felt a little more like, you know, zippity zap, but how about I shoot this energy that traps you instead or do these different, like it had, I don't know, kind of a more wizard duel kind of feel to it. Hmm. I love the designs in the show. Um, 
This is the sexiest Glinda the Good Witch, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, she's got like two modes too. Like there's her totally uh, refined mode where, you know, she's got her updo and she's all dressed properly. But then she's got like a ragged mode that you see her most of the time. Both uh, okay. are great. Yeah. Um, nice. Oh, and there's a great line <laughs> that I have to share from it. Um, so Dorothy is imploring to somebody like, please remember. And Scarecrow adds, trust your heart. It can't forget because it doesn't have a brain. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yes. That's pretty good. <laughs> anyway. Uh, it, oh, yeah. hang on. You've yeah. reminded me of something not really cartoon related, but it it actually made me laugh out loud at work when I read this headline. Okay. Um, did you know that there are some people who have made real life Quidditch? The spell oh. from Harry Potter. Yeah, I haven't I haven't investigated it too hard. But did you know that they've changed the name of it? Oh they, yeah? Yeah, they've decided that it's called Quadball now. <laughs> um and the reason is they want to remove the affiliation to Harry Potter because <laughs> That's of, hilarious. Because of, of JK Rowling's uh Turfiness on trans trans people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, like I'm not making and I'm not making fun of that. Like, yeah. No, like, but it, it's so people, ironic. <laughs> it it kind of it's like people who, you know, I don't I don't agree with people who are transphobic and homophobic and stuff. And I, you know, I'm not making fun of that. But at the same time, the idea like the <laughs> the self-made Quidditch team is changing yes. the name of their sport like that's just funny <laughs> that that is ir irony <laughs> personified yeah that's beautiful it's, pr it's pretty good yeah yeah <laughs> okay hey. yeah <laughs> yeah we we gotta get funky we gotta talk about some teenage mutant ninja turtles i think teenage mutant ninja turtles what are Dude. those <laughs> everybody knows and in fact i think there might be like five documentaries on Netflix about <laughs> how it was created. But nonetheless, I will tell you a little bit about it. Uh, way back in 1984, friends and comic creators Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman collaborated on a comic. It was based on a silly concept, turtles who were also ninjas, mixed with a heavy dose of parody of Marvel Comics' Daredevil. They exploded in indie comics, as relative as an indie comics explosion is. Uh, their Mirage Studios got an opportunity to license the concept to Playmates Toys. And the various, various creatives at Mirage just churned out characters for these toys. <laughs> uh, not all of them good. Have you seen some of those documentaries? Uh, not the documentaries, no, but I've seen some of the toys. Well, I mean, they gave us Bebop and Rocksteady, so neat. But they also, they went on a weird thing where they decided mutagen uh, mutated people into, like, their New York City jobs. So, like, there's a garbage man, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Th these characters look more like Toxic Crusaders cartoon characters. <laughs> and maybe they ended up being that way. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, so being the 80s, the toys needed promotion. And you know what that means? A cartoon. Yeah. Murakami Wolf and Swenson produced that animation. Maybe it's Svenson. Anyway, uh, it was a runaway hit. 
Uh, the rough edges of a hyper-violent comic were sanded down into a more colorful, more kid-friendly package. And for many, this is the primary lore of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Here it goes. The, the Foot Clan. Um, it's a ninja clan and there is a no bigger rivalry than that between Orokusaki and Hamato Yoshi. Treachery drove Hamato Yoshi to New York to live in the sewers in disgrace. Because, you know, I guess housing costs in New York are out of control. Yeah. So, not satisfied with this level of ruin, a really vindictive Saki pursued Yoshi and tried to off him with some mutagenic ooze. Rather than proving deadly, though, it mutated Yoshi into a rat man, for a rat was the last animal he had touched. And four pet turtles who touched the ooze became turtle boys because Yoshi was the last creature they had touched. Yoshi adopted them all and trained them in the arts of the ninja. He changed his name to Splinter, I, for reasons, and named them after Renaissance painters Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Saki himself got a new name when he donned a suit of razor-covered armor. He called himself the Shredder. He gained robotic ninjas, a mutant rhino named Rocksteady, and a warthog named Bebop, and a mobile giant fortress thanks to his partnership with a disembodied brain villain from Dimension X named Krang. His villainy, uh, Saki's that is, the Shredder, fell under investigation by an intrepid television reporter named April O'Neil. When the Turtles saved her from Shredder's thugs, a partnership was formed, one as classic as comics themselves, between superheroes and a news reporter. <laughs> now, um, as part of our deal with our sponsor, Geppel's Goo, I have to mention that that mutagen is an ooze, and thus distinct from goo, it can't clog nothing. Right. That D&D stuff was slime as well, not goo. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So we rolled some episodes, um, and I think you got the first one. Yeah, first one, <laughs> which I referred to as the control because it is called Cowabunga Shredhead. Right. Which it could mean anything, but it turns out it actually makes sense. You know what? I, I thought I knew what it was, but I didn't have the courage to state it last episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway. As this episode opens, all the turtles are just staring at Splinter eating sushi. Hmm. Uh, they're hungry, and turtles, you understand, only eat pizza. That's something that Micah glossed over. Uh, important part, yeah. Yeah, pizza, usually disgusting. Like, mm. they they really impress on the... Uh, well, well, not impress on... They, they really... What's the word I'm looking for here? They really try Pizza Place's ability to please their customers with an availability of toppings. You ever tried Bran Flakes on a pizza? Maybe it's pretty good. I'm, I've, I've worked in a pizza place and we didn't have Bran Flakes on hand. Okay. Like, that's my... Anyway, um, <laughs> I got a funny story about that. I'll tell later. Okay. Uh, okay, so anyway, they're waiting for the pizza to cook. Michelangelo's in charge of that. Michelangelo <laughs> being the party dude, the one who eats pizza more than any of them. So, you know, good job there. They go to see what's taken so long and they find Michelangelo gone and the pizza empty. But uh, 
one of them, I can't remember which one, it might have been Raphael, gets an idea and looks in the cupboard where Michelangelo is hiding, having <laughs> eaten all the pizzas himself. Well, this is too much. And Splinter decides that he's going to use the ancient art of Kung Pao, which is neither an ancient art nor Japanese. Well, to... I, th I think he found he named all his uh, mental disciplines from a Chinese takeout menu he found in the sewer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so he's faking it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he uses this Kung Pao to brainwash Michelangelo into craving pizza no more. Meanwhile, in that mobile fortress you mentioned, the Technodrome, Krang is imploring Splint, uh, Shredder, rather. Ooh, I hope I'm not going to screw that up a lot. <laughs> um, he's imploring Shredder to get on with the plan. He gives him a floppy disk, a graphics disk, and tells him to go to the surface. Funny, you know, in each of these episodes, it seems like the Technodrome is stuck in a different place. I love it. And it is, it's, a, it's a hallmark of the series that it keeps getting in terrible places. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's in the Earth's core at this point. Yeah. Um, so they have these drill transport modules and uh, Shredder goes up to the surface into the factory, I guess it is, that he has commandeered at his as his earthly headquarters. Well, I guess surface headquarters. Uh, where Bebop and Rocksteady are cleaning up. And of course, they, he messes it up and berates them for not cleaning it up and yeah, whatever. Anyway, the point is, he's got this uh, machine. Now, what this machine does, this, this disc has all the information that anybody could ever want about Michelangelo, the most hmm. annoying turtle. Hmm. And what it also does is can create a hologram of the subject. Michelangelo, that is. The plan, I guess, is to replace um, the real Michelangelo with this holographic Michelangelo. But it, yeah. never, it never gets that far because um, Shredder's thugs are too dumb and they try to fight this uh, hologram. And uh, or oh, no, wait, that's not what happens. There's there's a second well, disc. There's a second disc. And when Bebop goes to put it in, he puts it in backwards and that causes a misfire, which blasts all this information about Michelangelo into Shredder's brain. Hmm. So meanwhile, Michelangelo, you know, he craves pizza no more. Uh, hooray. But, but <laughs> when they, they, they present him the option of going to get pizza, they don't have to because the other Michelangelo, which is to say Shredder is here with a bunch of pizza. Now all the turtles are like, uh, what? <laughs> and Splinter uses his Kung Pao again to placate Shredder. Um, what ends up happening is that there's this kind of, you know, hypnotism keyword thing where whenever Shredder hears the name Shredder, he'll become Shredder. And if he hears the name Michelangelo, he'll become Michelangelo. Okay, so... Yeah. As he is Michelangelo, um, I guess everything's fine, except for the actual Michelangelo, who thinks that two Michelangelos is one too many. He gets I gotta on step his... I gotta, I, I gotta step in here. Yeah? S Splinter is crap at picking safe words. No <laughs> kidding! Yeah, wow. <laughs> he should have chosen Rutabaga or Blatherskite. 
Something yeah, yeah. other than the names of people they would say often. Um, oh, and by the way, speaking of Harry Potter, uh, they decide that from now on they're only going to refer to Shredder as you-know-who. Right, right, right. Um, so I got a couple more ideas here. So it's amazing that they had all that data on Michelangelo, and when actually implemented into Shredder's mind, he can just go to the turtle lair. Like... <laughs> <laughs> They, they have more info than that. they thought, or it's just yeah. instinct. What, what, once you put in all that personality, he just like, it's like savoir faire. He knows where to go. But, you know, outcasts th- just naturally gravitate to that point in the sewers. Yes, yes. And the other thing is apparently he sees his clothes as Michelangelo's clothes. Like the Shredder wears a purple cape, a samurai helmet, a metal mask, and a bunch of razors all over his body. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been funny had the Shredder shown up in the lair <laughs> dressed in a bandana and a belt and a nothing yeah. else? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, I didn't think about that, but that is awesome. Yes. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> <Just> shut up. <laughs> I'll probably edit this part out, but I like the thought of him with an orange bandana around his wiener. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you edit that out? Okay. All right, Sorry, well, I'll, please, I'll please, it, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Michelangelo gets on his cheap skate vehicle, which is now available in toys everywhere or heh, which Toy is now stores? available in stores everywhere. Yeah. Um, but of course, Sh- uh, Michael Shredder Angelo. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> one. Yeah, Shredder. Yeah, he yeah. thinks that, yeah, riding the cheap skate skateboard is a cool idea. And that causes Michelangelo to just storm off on foot. And I don't know why, but as Michelangelo was leaving, I kind of went, oh, huh. Just mental note, they drew his nunchucks in his belt. I don't know why. I don't know why that would catch my eye like that, because of course he's going to have his nunchucks. But for some reason, (laughs) I was like, oh, cool. He's got his nunchucks. Yeah. Turns out that would be important later. All right. So anyway, as Shredder is kind of balancing on this oversized skateboard thing, he drops a disc. And of course, Donatello, the one who does the machines, you know, uh, he looks at it and goes, hmm. Meanwhile, uh, Michelangelo puts on his human disguise, which is an overcoat and a like bald mask thing and goes to his favorite pizza hangout, Vinny's. But... For some strange reason, he craves pizza no more. He still goes inside, though. Uh, And Bebop and Rocksteady spot him and think, oh, this is a great chance for us to catch a toidle. The turtles, the toidles, I should say, Hmm. uh, who, you know, they're ninjas. They try to be stealthy. So they take their gigantic uh, armed van that's shaped like a turtle and says turtles on the front to the (laughs) newsroom. Uh, where, <laughs> yeah. where luckily for them, April is uh, working late because she's got a computer, I guess, powerful enough, I guess, to read this floppy disk, I guess. Yeah, Donatello doesn't have a computer. And or maybe his computer only has CD-ROM. Oh, he's ahead of the curve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Floppy disk. What? Um, or maybe it's a zip disk and like Krang has the only reader in the world. That's pretty thick. Maybe it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so they go to this newsroom and they take a look at the tape and or the, the well, it's almost tape, yep. the floppy disk. 
And they see, oh, yeah, it's got uh, Michelangelo's information on it. Okay, so somehow I guess they put Michelangelo's brain into Shredder. They hmm. figure the only way to figure this out for sure is to activate Shredder. Um, but they don't really get much information from him, as I recall. Hmm. Um, back at the pizza place, <laughs> uh, Michelangelo is taking forever. Well, this this hideous, like, masked Michelangelo. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> these guys are grotesque. Um, uh, is that a, I think it's a Tor Johnson mask. Uh, from from Ed Wood. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Played by George the Animal Steel. Hmm. Um, anyway, he's having he's having a rough time trying to decide what kind of pizza he wants because he craves pizza no more. And he ends up just getting a soft drink. <laughs> and then Bebop and Rocksteady come up to harass him. He uses his soft drink to blind them. And when he reaches for his nunchucks, they're not there. Oh, no. Yeah, that's trouble. Yeah, the yeah, the turtles realize that this is obviously where Michelangelo is going to go. So they go there with Shredder. Donatello, you see, stayed behind with April because they got to figure out this computer. The computer, by the way, was not strong enough for this floppy disk and blew up. Hmm. As they're walking through this ridiculously elaborate pizza making setup. Hmm. <laughs> Shredder. Willy Wonka's Willy Wonka's pizzeria. Yeah, really. Uh, Shredder spots yeah. some cheese in the shredder. And when he says it out loud, it turns him back into the shredder. Hmm. Of course, he assaults the turtles. Of course, they end up wrapped up in dough and going down the <laughs> conveyor belt into the oven. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was inevitable, right? Yeah. Um, Bebop and Rocksteady, meanwhile, are bragging well not bragging they don't have anyone to brag to they're really just dancing around the tied up michelangelo um so happy that they actually caught a toitle and then shredder shows up he's uh reporting to krang that uh you know he got one turtle one toitle they're getting closer and uh it's almost time for phase two of the big plan what's phase two well Donatello has uh, powered up April's computer enough that it can read the floppy disk. And it seems that plan two or phase two of the plan is to use the same holographic technology to replace the president. So, mm. yeah, Krang, by by taking over the president of the United States, he will become the most powerful being in the world. Should have started with this plan. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe the thinking was that the turtles would have thwarted them first. Yeah, but. I'm trying to remember what the heck happened here. Uh, the shredder went back to the turtles. Oh, oh they're right. on the yeah. slowest oh, yeah, yeah, moving yeah, yeah, conveyor yeah, yeah. belt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Um, when it it's time for phase two, but all the information on the president is on the disc, which he didn't realize that he dropped, and so now he's got to go back and save the turtles so they can tell him what happened to the disc. Uh, Raphael, of course, thinks fast. And says Michelangelo, which turns the shredder back into Michelangelo. And that's when Donatello shows up to kind of explain what they figured out. Uh, but they also realize that Michelangelo is gone. And they figure the only way that they can figure out where Michelangelo is, is to turn shredder back into shredder so that they can, I guess, follow him to his hideout. So they pretty good. So they yeah. put the pizza back on. By the hmm. way, how did these two mutant ninjas n not be able to break out of raw dough? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's leverage. They were packed too tight with too many toppings. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, it's like a four and a half foot diameter pizza. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Also, part of this plan, by the way, um, Donatello has done something to this disc. And so they, you know, in their turtleish way, they give Shredder the disc back, you know, wasting time by throwing it through the um, the cartoon hands on cartoon uh, rods and pulleys that toss the dough and make the pizza. They, they <laughs> yeah. want Shredder to get the disc, but, you know, they can't make it too obvious. So Shredder mm. has to deal with these hands. He eventually gets the disc and he goes back to his hideout and the turtles follow him to the hideout. He tries to execute his plan. But what actually ends up happening is that it starts infinitely producing uh, Michelangelo holograms that just kind of strike ninja poses. Mm. And of course, Rocksteady and Bebop are too stupid to realize that they're holograms again and start shooting everywhere. In the commotion, the three hero turtles are able to rescue the fourth hero turtle uh, from being tied up. Oh, but Shredder has another uh, trick up his sleeve. It turns out that his synthesizer can also make force fields and mm. also disintegrate weapons because this is instance number one of Raphael throwing one of his psi and it gets disintegrated. Now he's got to mm. find another psi. But they're stuck in this force field now. They're actually trapped. It looks like the Shredder's got the upper hand until Michelangelo comes up with a clever idea of saying Michelangelo. And uh, in doing so, of course, Shredder turns back into Michelangelo and they tell him to wreck the machine, which he does, which uh, breaks free of the force field. And it causes all kinds of chaos. Bebop and Rocksteady realize, or they think they've realized that who they thought was the Shredder is actually a turtle in disguise. Hmm. Bebop and Rocksteady are real dumb. Too smart for their own good here, though. Well, but also dumb enough not to realize that there was already four turtles. Ah, a second ago, there was like 50. Yeah, okay. So, fair enough. Well, so confusing. They, they, they <laughs> say in a later episode that counting is hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the commotion, yeah, uh, a ray hits... Uh, 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 the Shredder, getting confused with who this guy is, mm. and turns him back into the Shredder permanently, but now he's caught by Bebop and Rocksteady, and they take him back to the Technodrome because they think they've captured a Toidle. Hmm. <laughs> there's, there's this one shot here I love. Um, yeah. Leonardo is saying something, and Michelangelo is in the background, and Michelangelo just has this blank expression, and they've drawn the pupils of his eyes as just tiny dots. <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious it's a lot of dang turtles to draw yeah <laughs> some, anyway, some slip through yeah yeah anyway they go back to their lair and there's pizza but of course Donna, or, uh, uh, Michelangelo craves pizza no more and so Splinter decides oh right I should probably turn that off and so he does and now <laughs> Michelangelo craves all the pizzas and I will tell you the only thing about this episode that I remembered was the animation cycle of Michelangelo eating pizza at the end. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. And for some reason, it was like, I, I recognize that, that whole that's thing. That's why. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why you remember it. It's good. Yeah. You know what's not good? Uh, Townsend Coleman, the voice of Michelangelo, is filling in for Pat Fraley as Krang in this episode. 
oh, is that why his voice is so different? I just thought yeah. Krang's voice uh, evolved over time. But boy, that voice nope. is annoying. He does it twice in the series and he regrets it, he said. <laughs> mm. So it's it's not good, but, you know, yeah. I guess whatever. But I, we have nothing more to add on this episode, right? Well, no. I mean, we got We got to hang a rating on this. Yeah. Um, For me, this really seems like a. This, you know, I, I called it the control when I only knew the name yeah. of it, but actually it kind yeah. of is. It's really middle of the road. Um, mm-hmm. Just I give this a New York deli style with peanut butter and jelly. Oh, really? Yeah, that's a three. That's, that's a three. OK, I so there's no Pat Fraley in this episode, but I give Cowabunga Shredhead three Uncle Phil's out of five. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. We should probably mention, do you want to mention the voice now? Yeah, James Avery, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is the shredder for like the first half of the series. And the junkyard dog in Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. He's got a good voice. Yeah, he does. Okay, so let's get on to the next episode we rolled. Uh-huh. It's it's called The Turtles and the Hare. Man! Or, you, or by its other title, Matsy's Profound Disappointment. <laughs> it got even more profound later. Okay, it's written by Misty Taggart in 1991. Okay, so Matsy is a big Usagi Ojimbo fan. Now, remember that or forget it, because he doesn't appear in this episode. Huh. Um, remember it, because it'll come up later. Okay. Donatello awakens his brothers to show off the invention he's been working on, an automatic Easter egg machine. The purpose is to supply the Channel 6 Easter egg hunt. Michelangelo shows up late and leans on a volatile lever, then stumbles onto the machine's conveyor belt. Dangerous, dangerous conveyor belts. This ruins the machine and pelts the goofy bro turtle with many eggs that are curiously not hard-boiled. What does this gigantic machine do? Because it goes into this huge metal apparatus. Yes. And then they come out and cartoony arms paint them. What happens in that gigantic apparatus? I guess they get dipped a bunch of times. They certainly don't get boiled. Yeah. It's not one of his better inventions. Um, So meanwhile, in the Technodrome, now it's in Dimension X. um, (laughs) It's so funny. I love it. Uh, Krang is showing his new invention to Shredder. It's a docilizer ray. Though it looks like a remote control, it is able to turn Earthlings timid. The tests for the device are the mutants Bebop and Rocksteady, dressed as Easter bunnies, to lead an assault on the Channel 6 Easter celebration. And uh, Rocksteady makes sure to break the fourth wall on his way out. (laughs) He's going to do that a lot. Uh, speaking of Channel 6, April can't find anyone among the Channel 6 crew to wear an Easter Bunny suit. Certainly not Snooty Vernon, who refuses to look so undignified. Cue the mighty Max-looking mailboy running in with his cart and knocking Vernon down the stairs. What a laugh. Maybe he's badly hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So, Rocksteady and Bebop, dressed as Easter Bunnies, remember, are rude to some children outside. It prompts a trucker dressed in overalls and a fedora to come stand up to them. The docilizer ray works. It turns him into a coward. The two mutants then burst into the newsroom to use their docilizer rays on Vernon, Mr. Thompson, 
not Irma Staffer Mildred, and <laughs> April. Weird, right? Yeah. Um, she's even got like a Long Island accent. It's weird. Anyway, um, but not before April contacts the turtles for help. When they arrive, they too are promptly zapped. But luckily, the ray doesn't work on mutants. Something Krang really ought to have told them earlier. Yeah, really? Holy smoke. <laughs> what an oversight. <laughs> oh, yeah. by the way, this won't work yeah. <laughs> on your arch enemies and the ones who can potentially stop you. Hey, you're better at it than Townsend. <laughs> 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 so the Warthog and Rhino are told to retreat since they successfully tested the ray. Back at the turtle lair, Donatello determines that he needs a Cyranium crystal to reverse the effects of the docilizer. Yeah, he got but a it's... sample of the ray. Yes, in his pocket, I guess. Um, but it's the, the crystal is so rare that they have to go to another dimension. Luckily, Donatello has a dimensional portal. Man, and at, at this point, I was hoping like, oh, is this the dimension that Usagi Ojimbo's from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a home computer, too, now, by the way. Ah, um, upgrade. Yeah. So they realize that the crystal is in a dimension full of fairy tales, like, for example, the Three Little Pigs. I'm, I'm pretty sure you knew you were doomed now. Um, so Leo and Raph go there and search for the crystal. They meet the disagreeable Hokum Hare, the hare from the tortoise and the hare Aesop fable. They also meet the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk, and unfortunately, he collects their turtle communicator for his personal treasures. They follow him up the Beanstalk, and untrusting Hokum follows them. The giant catches the brothers quickly. However, despite their size difference, the ninjas use the giant's pepper shaker and twine to subdue him, and Hokum snatches the Cyranium crystal from the giant's treasures. Now, outdoing any James Bond villain, Shredder announces that microwaves are the means of conveyance on the Channel 6 news broadcast. <laughs> Whoops. Um, this makes it obvious that Donatello and Michelangelo should go to the most powerful microwave tower in the city to combat them. They managed to bring Leo, Raph, and Hokum to our dimension uh, when they were in peril of falling from a uh, chopped beanstalk. And they all go to uh, the tower. Hokum swiftly and stupidly pulls the lever that <laughs> activates the microwave dish, but he makes up for it by jumping up to the roof and turning the dish down to target only Shredder, rendering him into a coward. With the crystal installed, the tower reverses the effects of the docilizer. Further... Hokum stands in as the authentic Channel 6 Easter Bunny before going back to his own dimension. Also at the end, Mildred hangs out with April and the Turtles. Really, was she supposed to be Irma? <laughs> this, is the this is the only episode that she's in, as far as I can tell. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, it is weird. I was like, oh, it's that girl. Oh, no, she's not. Yeah. So, uh, no Usagi Ojimbo in this episode. <laughs> mm, boy. Oh. Also, a little bit of an ugly episode, too. A little bit? Oh, yeah. The, the, the fairy tale dimension is an eyesore. Ugh. Oh, boy. Ooh. This one really is a stinker. 
So I am giving a rating of two coming out of their shell tours out of five. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I'm giving it a garlic, onion, and horseradish pizza, uh, which, yeah. is a, which is a one. Managed to one for you. I hated <laughs> this. I All right. It was so ugly. It was so dumb. Everything. Ab- oh, my gosh. I couldn't believe yeah. how bad this was. Nothing much was good in it, but I have to believe there are episodes of TMNT that I like half as much, so mm-hmm. I went to. All right, fair enough. Well, let's move on to another one. Okay, you want to yeah. talk profound disappointment. Really? I went to the, you know, I went to the list of episodes. I was like, okay, let's mm-hmm. find this Michelangelo's birthday, episode number 49. And you know what caught my eye? What it was next to? <laughs> episode 50. Usagi Yojimbo. I missed the good one by one. Well, I mean, it would have infuriated me that they call him Usagi Yojimbo and not Miyamoto Usagi. But I missed the I was so excited that we got the one with Usagi Yojimbo and then we didn't. And then I immediately (laughs) discovered that I missed it by one. All right. (sighs) Okay, so what the what we did end up with is Michelangelo's birthday. Hey, guess what? Michelangelo's making a birthday birthday pizza pizza um gives it to his friends but they all cut him off before he can you know explain what's cool about the the you know this old thing where the he's like uh anybody know what day it is and they're like "Eh, yeah it's the day we're watching this my favorite movie Um, and man he's so unsubtle (laughs) yeah really well it's not even like he's trying to like he's not trying to does anybody know what day he's like trying to say it's my and then they cut him off like, oh, yeah, yeah, George. Yeah, like, you know, this, like you're saying, this plot has been around for all of cartoon history. Oh, yeah. And oh, it yeah. always There's probably goes the a same. Felix the Cat. There's probably a Felix the Cat yeah. where he's like it, it, gesturing that it's his birthday. It always goes, this, I'm sorry to spoil your plot here. It's somebody's birthday. Everyone wants to make it a surprise. And then the person's ego is totally destroyed because nobody remembers their birthday. And it becomes their worst day ever, only reversed at the end. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's right. Uh, yep. Let's move on to your episode. No, no, no there, there's actually more to this, amazingly. Um, yeah. Because the Technodrome is back in the center of the Earth. Well, I say back, but this episode is actually no, no, before the other yeah. one. Yeah, um, yeah. It's being repaired, though, because it was smashed up in a previous episode. And the one of the rock soldiers that they have down there knocks something yeah. into the lava and it turns a weird color. Um, the Shredder, of course, thinks, hey, the lava turned a different color. I should probably stick my hand in it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and he picks up something which he describes as goo. No, 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 so... no, no, not goo. It's not goo. Please, this is money we're talking about. <laughs> we got to keep Geppel happy. Well, the Shredder called it goo and he's a villain. Only villains. Okay. No, wait. Vill- um, I did that backwards. Yeah. Yeah, because I was going to say that only villains like goo, but that's not true at all. Everybody loves goo. Heroes, goo's for everyone. Everybody loves goo, man. Buy some today. Yeah. Anyway, Krang has an idea of what this is, but he's not sure. Meanwhile, the turtles are still pretending that they don't know what day it is. Meanwhile, Hmm. back at the (laughs) plant... Uh, Krang has whipped this stuff into a spray and he sprays it on one of the rock soldiers, but it does nothing. And he's like, ah, nuts. 
dismisses the rock soldiers and throws the stuff at him, and it turns them back into rocks. Looking under the microscope, he determines that his hypothesis was actually correct. This is an anti-mutagen. It'll turn things back into what they mutated from, like, say, pet turtles. But You know, hmm? if rock soldiers evolved from inanimate rocks, how did they reproduce back then? There must have been some sort of Dimension X pollinator that went from rock to rock, I imagine. Well, I'm thinking more like if they're... It's not like they evolved from rocks. They mutated from rocks. Well, okay. Which raises the question, does mutagen also work on, like, objects? According to Mirage Studios guys, it does, but yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, mutagen is weird anyway, because, like, you know, you put stuff on a turtle. The last thing they were in contact with is a human, so they turn into humanoid turtles. Yeah. But, like... If if it got on Splinter, wouldn't it? It's backwards, right? Like he's a person who touched a rat. Yeah, shouldn't like shouldn't he turn into like a four legged human? <laughs> you mean kinda? Can you imagine or a turtle? The... Like the last animal he actually touched was a turtle. I, Four I, of them actually. Was it? I, I didn't so. watch the first episode. Well, well they, I mean, the turtles had to touch him because that they were in contact with a human. Him. I think he touched the mutagen first and then touched the... Well, anyway, I... Like, the, the original lore is that he's a rat for, to start with, so I don't yes, know. Yes, yes, yeah. But, that makes but, more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about what pet breeding would be like if you had access to mutagen. All the weird things you could make, hmm. you know, anyway, 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 I'm getting off topic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're mutagen. So anyway, what Krang figures out, I guess, is that instead of being doused with more of the stuff than just a spray bottle, he figures, no, 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 it only works if it's hitting three things at once. Hmm. Shame there's four turtles. Right. Yeah. Um. We might need a way to get rid of one turtle. Michelangelo is still like, you guys, as the turtles are now eating cereal. So I don't know what time it is. This day is really jumping around. Uh, of course, you know, turtles will eat pizza. You know, maybe that was their breakfast or their like, or maybe it was like a minute after midnight. And they they usually eat their cereal and pizza together, though. So who knows what's going on in this episode? Yeah, these turtles are acting weird. <laughs> anyway, the point is that Michelangelo decides if nobody cares about him enough to remember his birthday, he's going to run away from home. Hey, where have we heard mm. this before? Everywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even in our reviews so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. Um, So, yeah, the the villains uh, use their transport module to come back up onto Earth and just decide to start causing a ruckus because they figure it'll get on the news and then the turtles will see it. And then they'll come and stop them, and then we can spritz them. And, you know, I guess it has to be three or more. I guess it doesn't have to be exactly three. So it would work if they mm. hit all three. Um, so while they're uh, tossing over cars in front of the news station, Vernon, who is this guy? He's in every episode. Huh. Um, he's he, he's uh, April O'Neil's nemesis. Yeah, he's a rival, and uh, he's one of those rare instances where it's like, 
I can still tell that this is Rob Paulson, but he's doing a different voice than he ever does anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah. So he's he's like, ooh, this is going to be a great scoop. <laughs> so he takes some video and shows it to his uh, editor in chief, I guess. Um, yeah. Instead of reporting live, he's like, hey, I made some video of something happening. What do you think? And I'm just thinking about the time that has passed since this has happened. Right. Of course, April overhears this and she's not really thinking of the scoop. She's thinking of, oh, Shredder and his goons are up to no good. I better call the toitles. Hmm. Donatello gets the call and they all, yeah, okay, let's go. And that's when they notice that Michelangelo is missing. Splinter shows up with the note that he left, which is basically, sorry, you guys, uh, you forgot my birthday, so I'm leaving. <laughs> Drama, mama. Yeah. And of course, they reiterate by showing the birthday spread that they had lined up, uh, including what appears to be a birthday cake pizza, just like the one that Michelangelo made for himself. But hmm. I mean, let's be real. Michelangelo would still eat it. Yeah. Anyway, the plan is the three turtles are going to go and stop. Hell, look at that number. The three turtles are going to go and stop Shredder and his uh, hench idiots. Well, Splinter goes to find Michelangelo. Um, now the turtles, of course, you know, Shredder has this spritzy stuff, but the turtles move too fast. Uh, they, he can't get all three of them at once. There was one shot where Donatello was standing behind Bebop and Rocksteady. And I was like, it wouldn't make any sense, but boy, every time I see three mutants next to each other, I'm thinking, is this gonna, but no. Anyway. Somewhere, somewhere fly-bodied Baxter Stockman is <laughs> crying a single tear. Yeah, really? <laughs> He would have helped. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, so, yeah. Um, uh, uh, Shredder decides, okay, this isn't working. And he runs away. And uh, the turtles chase him. But it turns out they've also lost him. Now, Shredder and the guys are like, ah, we screwed up. But they come across single solitary Michelangelo and catch him. Man. Man. He says, what incredible good fortune. No sheet. Man, <laughs> this is our third episode we're reviewing, and the bad guys have stumbled into Michelangelo on the streets and alleys. This is the second time. <laughs> you know, I guess Manhattan really is a small town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they capture him without any trouble and take them back to the, what is it called? The Flushomatic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the... I don't, I don't know. Yeah, torture device. Yeah, the Flush-O-Matic playset. I googled it. It was a toy. Um, yeah. The idea is that it's going to drop some ooze onto Michelangelo, uh. which will dissolve him. And they're going to... Yes. They, they get the idiot Rocksteady to make the ransom call. Um, basically, they're going to meet him and they... Uh, um, I don't remember what their demands were. Oh, I guess they didn't have any. They just wanted them all together at the same time. Right. Uh, the turtles know that it's a trap, but they got to go anyway, because it's the only way they're going to get Michelangelo back. So they go uh, and, you know, Shredder decides he's going to show him where the hideout is, but he's going to he's going to drive. He's going to ride in their really subtle turtle van that they use right. for ninja hiding. Um, <laughs> Bebop and Rocksteady don't get to come along. And instead, they have to go on tricycles. Uh, hmm. Now, Michelangelo is feeling sorry for himself in the playset. Um, 
and then just escapes. <laughs> it's like it's like, you know, cliffhanger before the commercial where, oh, it's it's almost hit me. It's almost hit me. And then it comes back from the break. It's like, I'm hey, I broke out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's where he meets up with. Oh, and there's something with April here and with Vernon, but it's not important. Um, not really. Yeah. Um, outside, once he breaks out, Michelangelo meets up with Splinter. And uh, they, well, actually, first the <laughs> the turtles. Okay, I'm getting my I'm getting the order all mixed up here. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, the shredder shows him the dissolved floor. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, oh like, my god, ha! Which is horrifying in its own right. But imagine if Michelangelo hadn't gotten out. That what they would have seen is their brother's bottom half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. rest of him, the rest of him, smoking and his face collapsed in on itself. Yeah, I think I think what I'm getting confused about here because I've I kind of jumped ahead of the plot before the plot actually made itself known. So here's yeah. what happens: the Shredder and Bebop and Rocksteady leave their hideout to go to the rendezvous point. The Turtles meet them at that rendezvous point, take the Shredder and go back to the hideout. The Thugs commandeer tricycles from little kids, four-year-old kids mm. just riding the streets of New York. Mm. And they start and in the middle of the night, apparently. And they head out. Michelangelo has escaped from the hideout and he has gone to the rendezvous point where he meets up with Shredder and then they go back to the hideout. So there's like at least two different units who have gone from the hideout to the point to the hideout. Kind of aimless. Yeah. Yep. So at the hideout, Shredder, you know, I guess the turtles are too, um, dis- you know, disheartened by the death of their brother or friend or whatever to fight back as the Shredder spritzes him with the stuff, which uh, works. It it doesn't work the way Krang fought. I, and there's no real explanation given, I guess. What it does is what that pea balloon in Super Mario World does. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and turns the turtles into big inflatables that float off. It's a little ceiling. it's a little scary because they don't seem to have any volition anymore either. They just kind of are floating there and can't talk. Yeah. Then Michelangelo and Splinter show up and, you know, Michelangelo essentially saves the day. Um, mm. I mean, he, he at least thwarts the shredder enough to uh, get them all back. Oh, I'm just realizing now that I forgot in the earlier fight when uh, Shredder failed to get the mutagen ooze or the the anti-mutagen stuff on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was instance number two of Raphael throwing a sigh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Michelangelo pretty easily fights off. uh, Well, he doesn't even really need to fight him off. He just kind of decides Shredder decides "Ah, we got three of them. Let's go. Right. But what are they going to do? Because the well, turtles, I don't know, because the turtles can't speak. There's nothing they can do. But um, boy. Boy, this <laughs> this made me so angry and then it made me so much more angry. And then sad because <laughs> Splinter pulls out these three magic orbs in a ring box from behind him. Yeah. And he, you know, concentrates real hard and the three mystic orbs float up and reverse the 
anti-mutagen's weird inflated inflation fetish that it put on the yeah. turtles. Oh, that's what the turtles are all about, man. Transformation, inflation, tickling feet, damsels in peril. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, it works. And uh, it turns out that those three mystic orbs were mothballs. You know, bad enough if they were just like magic pearls that his sensei gave him. Yeah, but that's what yeah, made me angry were... the first time. It's like, oh, deus ex yeah. machina from dude here. And then it turns okay. out that it's just, you know, through the power of belief, he made these objects magically reverse the weird chemical that they didn't understand. Then apparently no one understands. Sure. <laughs> anyway, they go back home and they spring the surprise on Michelangelo. It's his birthday. Hooray. I have a couple notes. Uh-huh. Um, when Bebop and Rocksteady collide earlier in the episode, it's the same impact sound effect used in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, there's a bunch of reused and, sound effects all over and, this thing. Yeah, it was in the... I can't like replicate. It's like a... I can't really do it. But it, when you hear it, you know it. Yeah. Um, And... Also about Rocksteady, I love him and all, but I'm not loving these fourth wall breaking jokes that he does. Mm, yeah. A lot. I, yeah, he says something about like, because because like the turtles, Donatello overheard the uh, the smart ones prompting Rocksteady for like, tell him where to meet, yeah. meet here, blah, blah, blah. And then Donatello was like, we heard it, blah, blah, blah. And well, that Rocksteady was kind of like, Yeah, it was. But then Rocksteady's like, yep. maybe they already saw this episode. No, thank you. Also, I don't think I ever realized how much Rocksteady's voice is just Leonardo. Right. Like, maybe I did when I was a kid and I don't remember, but boy, I, it's just the same guy. Oh, yeah. I like him, but yeah, don't like that part of him. Yeah. Um. So, you gonna hang a score on this great episode? I wasn't big on this episode. I thought it was pretty no. dumb. Um... Yeah, I give it a triple mushroom and coconut, which I, okay. I originally thought that was a one. But now that I'm thinking of when you sort of just said, I bet there are episodes that I like half as much as this. I'm thinking, yeah, OK, <laughs> so I'm going to make it a two. I'm joining you. I'm giving this one Toka plus one Razor for two knockoffs out of five. <laughs> OK. We're going to round this out with Krangenstein Lives, directed by, or sorry, written by David Wise. Oh! Celebrity of the show, David Wise. Oh, okay. Writer of the Battletoads pilot. From yeah. 1992, this one is. So, our green teens practice fighting skills against training dummies dressed as... Sh <laughs> I've got <run> Shreddy. <laughs> Shreddy... <laughs> Rocksteady and Bebop. Freddy and Well, Eddie. except except Michelangelo. He's too busy playing his Space Trek handheld video game, much to the criticism of his sensei and brothers. Not so great minds think alike, because Rocksteady is also playing the same video game at the Technodrome uh, here at the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> Krang, while in his bubble walker, performs maintenance on his usual robot body. This includes a return of his seldom-seen size transformation actuator hmm. that lets his body drastically change size. Those goofball mutant henchmen end up mixing their crackers with the coordination chip. 
and Bebop wrecks it by biting it mistakenly. They cover their mistake by swapping a computer chip from their video game, and it makes Krang's body speak and act like it's the video game, and that means destruction. Ultimately, Krang's body escapes in a drill module. Up in New York, the Krang body's rampage continues. Shredder, Shredder and his bozos follow in another module, but the master ninja falls into a crater when he exits the module. And Bebop and Rocksteady promptly lose against the android. Shredder recovers from his concussion with amnesia. Can what? you believe it? What? Where did this come from? Well, I guess the mind of David Wise. But what? What? Why? Why did this episode Can need this? Yes, I, I, well, yeah. And, and how remarkable is it that we've picked four random episodes and have such recurrence of themes in them? Anyway, um, <laughs> so having lost his identity, Shredder hasn't lost his despotism. Out of territorialism, he stops two muggers, their victim and owner of a fireworks factory, oh. <laughs> gives Orokusaki a job as thanks. This opportunity gives him his most insidious tool for villainy ever, gunpowder. <laughs> <laughs> so, April and the Turtles clash with the Krangless android, and they get their asses kicked. After the guys recover, they encounter Bebop and Rocksteady, and those guys do about as well against the Turtles as the training dummies did. Hmm. They let slip the reason for the android's behavior before they get away. So the turtles take on the android again, and for once Donatello screws up when he opens a machine's panel and fiddles with it. Uh, it causes the Krang android to change in size dramatically, so even though the turtles are faring better this time, they can't get the win. The Krang, when it's... the Krang... Krangenstein, when it's giant size, stuffs all the turtles into a phone booth and then kicks it far across many city blocks. And luckily, those turtles have a ton of hit points. Or shells. Oh, yeah. good. Well, geez, good point. Um, by amazing luck, they land next to City Hall, <laughs> where Amnesiac Shredder plans to cause mayhem with his bomb canister. <laughs> Vernon springs out of nowhere to try and interview Shredder, and this makes him recoil and stumble down the steps. And as cartoon logic goes, a new concussion restores his memory. Of course. He may still be evil without his memory, but luckily, he's still also an enormous buffoon. Tech whiz Michelangelo hooks up his video game to Krangenstein <laughs> to control the giant android. It snatches the bomb away from Shredder, but while the android shrinks, it crushes the canister and blows up. Yeah, a really underwhelming explosion that wouldn't have done anything if Shredder had made good on his threat. Oh, yeah, yeah, it would have, like, destroyed the lobby. I mean, it was barely yeah. enough of an explosion to kill a doll-sized robot. Also... Well, it's a super robot. Also, why yeah. does the Krang body have the ability to get this small? Same technology, I guess. Yeah, but, like, why does it go down? Because this scene demonstrates that whatever is in the cavity that Krang would be inhabiting does not shrink and gets crushed. 
So maybe why... it's got maybe yeah. Uh, maybe it's got to be a Krang to do that. I don't know. Hmm. I shoot. I forget their name in the comic. Doesn't matter. I, anyway, I actually recently um, saw a little bit of an episode um, of one of the more recent Ninja Turtles things, where there's like a whole, where there's a whole race of these things. Yeah, like the comic. And it turns yeah. out that Shredder's one of them. He's like, oh yeah, he's like this intergalactic, We're... interdimensional villain that's taken on all kinds of different personas, and uh, the Shredder humanoid persona is his like most dastardly one ever. It's a weird twist, but you know. This story's been retold so many times, why not? Yeah. So, but this story, um, so yeah, Krang's body will take forever to repair now. And back at the sewer, Michelangelo is given permission to play his video game as much as he likes since it came so much in handy, but the system blows up from overuse. The end. Ooh, boy. Yeah. On a related note, make sure to buy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now available for your Nintendo Entertainment System. The first one? Eh, it's okay, I guess. No, it's um, not. It's not. It's not. Well, it's not a Turtles game either, as near as I can tell. They actually like, really... Probably did a, you see they've got the Cowabunga collection? I have, yeah. Yeah. That first Turtles game sucks. I don't like it, but I love the Konami beat-em-ups. Eh. Um, I haven't played the new, the new game. Anyway, here's a weird deal in this episode that I noticed. Or rather, in the review of all these episodes... In the Turtles and the Hare, Bebop uses a laser assault rifle and Rocksteady uses a laser pistol, which is funny for, to start with because Rocksteady is usually the machine gun user. Right. Then in Michelangelo's birthday, they both have the same style of assault rifle. And then in Krangenstein Lives, they both have the same style of pistol. Kind of <laughs> weird. To, I don't know. Strikes me as strange. It might be one of those things where they're just showing off the weapons that both action figures come with. I would have shown one of each then, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going to shock you here. The confluence of Krang's runamuck body and Shredder's amnesia, as you note, is bizarre writing. But all of that said, there's rather a lot of fighting in this episode for... A mid-run Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. Hmm. And I like the variety of Krang's weaponry and powers. Yeah. And Shredder is so appealing and charismatic while he's lost his memory. He's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am going to give this episode four nostalgia goggles out of five. <laughs> <laughs> um... I thought that this episode was bland in a way okay. that like, oh, I did. I couldn't. I couldn't. Okay. I give this a bologna and mashed potato with ketchup instead of tomato sauce and American cheese instead of mozzarella. Which is a two. Says you, I thought that coconut one sounds like it could have been good, but this one is gross. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> okay, okay. Before we do the overview, it's just a little bonus content. I felt a little bad when you ro legitimately rolled episode two and I said, no, that's all a five-parter, but it could have stood on its own. And also, uh, those first five episodes of TMNT are so good. Like, that's another reason to exclude it, kind of, <laughs> you know? 
Because it like, they're it, so, like weighs they're, the average unfairly. Yeah, they're different beasts. Did you watch the second one, the the Enter the Shredder? You know what? I forgot until the last oh. second. I was like, ah, shucks. Okay, you might remember as I talk about it. Enter the Shredder. <laughs> it's written by David Wise <laughs> and Patty Howarth. Um, 1987 we're talking okay, about Okay, he had a filter. <laughs> so there's so much action in this episode. My favorite thing in all of this TMNT cartoon series, they get into the Technodrome and they get into a big chamber full of weird giant robots and they fight them all. Huh. It is so cool. Like there's a part where Donatello vaults over this robot and it's cannon uh, tilts up to follow him, but he shoves his bow through the, the cannon lens and then his momentum like tips it back over onto its top. I re- That's cool. I do remember that. Yes. And then there's like one with like spidery legs that Michelangelo is just running along the outside and his nunchucks are like just bashing these metal legs apart. Bam, bam, bam. So cool. Yeah. You know, Ra- Ra- Raphael jumps up into like a spread eagle pose and chops the wings off this other one. This battle is so dank. I, I love this one bit. That's so funny where Michelangelo overcome with bloodlust is bashing a robot that's already been disabled. <laughs> so it is so good. And just to speak to how much action there is in this, Leonardo, you were counting the number of size thrown. Yeah. In the four oh, episodes, there was a, there was a third one in that last episode. By the way, he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. tripped Shredder. So similarly, okay, Leonardo uses his swords three times in the four episodes we reviewed. He uses them four times and enter the Shredder. <laughs> also, this is the episode where Bebop and Rocksteady are made. Hmm. So cool. I love it. Great. For me, I give it five Roadkill Rodneys out of five. But like I said, that just skews the whole thing. Yeah. If you allow those first five episodes in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do the thing so where they think- you, you eliminate the highest score and the lowest score to get a true average. <laughs> yeah. I think. If we do look at our average, I think I thought the show was average that I enjoyed. And I think you thought that it was lower than average that you kind of got angry at. I yeah, the first episode was decent. And then the other three were just bad. I like Raphael. Okay, Michelangelo is obviously like insufferable. And he's the focus of three of them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Raphael. And he was the one when the toy line first came out, like Raphael was the one who was like, oh, I want that one first. Oh, yeah. Like every, you know, you have you have four to choose from. You got to pick one, right? Yeah. And Raphael was like, "Okay, I will go with Raphael first and then we'll see how the rest of the collection shapes up. Yeah. But boy, I hated Raphael. He will not. He was my. Yeah. He was my favorite because he was so smarmy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I. Uh, he's just Rob (laughs) Paulson doing the standard Rob Paulson voice. This is the first place that I remember like Rob Paulson from, by the way, like every Rob Paulson voice after this was just, Oh, it's Raphael. I guess some mutagen, more mutagen turned Raphael into wacko or Yakko. Sorry. Yakko. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, I couldn't. Every time he opened his mouth, I was just like, Oh, it was like Gene from Bob's burgers. I was like, Shut up. Uh, Not everything needs a clip. 
not not yeah not all his quips are are made equal i guess um did you get any versions when you watched the show that had the alternate opening credit animation uh, no i had one with an alternate closing animation and i have one that didn't have the oh. opening at all uh oh there's an there's an alternate one that's just not as good mm. like the animation is not as good. They're trying. They're trying, but it's. I. I don't have any research to back it up. But I think it's because of the uh, uh, how in England uh, nunchucks were illegal. Oh, okay. So they wanted to make an animation, an opening animation that didn't feature the nunchucks at all. Hmm. Um. Never mind that the villain is covered in razors, hmm. but or one of them has two swords. I guess in, right, I guess right. in England swords are like, you know, a thing. Oh, that that also reminds me. Um, so you notice in one episode, Michelangelo only uses a grapple as his weapon. Yes. Um, there was a like a middle point where they were uh, experimenting with Manrique Gusari, which is like nunchucks except they're heavy metal weights. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like I almost I almost rated one of these episodes like three Manrique Gusari out of five, <laughs> but without any context, it made no sense. Yeah. Um, I gotta say I love the designs of the main characters in this show. Like the turtles are still appealing even when the animation isn't great. They're um, all right. Yeah. Their beak, their beaks are puffy, kind of more like Yoshi mm -hmm. from Super Mario. Yeah. I like their compact, muscular bodies, and I like the patterns of their shells. I drew these guys so much, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I think Shredder looks great. Um, I think Bebop and Rocksteady are fantastic. I love their designs. I find it weird um, that, like, Bebop has a purple mohawk for half of it, and then, well, gosh, now that I'm saying it out loud... I was going to say it's weird that it's like the rest of like the ponytail part of it is just like same color as fur. Yeah. And well, I was thinking like, is this like an animation error? And then I'm looking, no, wait, it's no. every time. And then I realized, oh, it's not skin, it's fur. So that makes sense. I, I would have made it all purple. Yes. Yeah. But man, minor quibble. Like it's been a while since I've done a pig watch. <laughs> on animation oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he qualifies. I think he's great. Love his face. Um, I love his like little details. Like, you know, he's got the uh, turtle shells as his pauldrons on his shoulders. He's got, you know, the chain on his on his wrist. Uh, I even have a strange fascination with his red sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just think he's great. And uh, oh, he's got that bone necklace. And I, I like Rocksteady quite a bit, too. However, he got simplified a lot after those first five episodes. Mm. He's got a helmet with goggles. Oh, yeah. And um, his pants have a uh, black camo splotches that they got rid of to make the animation easier. Mm -hmm. But looks looks better with it. Um, I really like the dumpiness of Krang's body yeah. and how he can't put his arms down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and april o'neill is just straight up sex holy cow yeah, um she's straight up sex enough that it pushed over the line to me to where like okay you're trying too hard well i gotta say she endures for me and there have been so many iterations of her none of them come close this is the best by far for me uh so i was just thinking about how much you like bebop and rocksteady and I, and we're we're talking yeah. about bebop's mohawk there was, 
In recent years, a live action Ninja Turtles movie, like another one, there's been numerous Ninja Turtle movies, but there was a live action one right. fairly recently. Right. A WWE wrestler named Sheamus was in that. And at that time, Sheamus had just a gigantic, ridiculous red mohawk. Mm-hmm. And they cast him as Rocksteady. Oh, my God. I, Whoops. I was so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Tur- no, no matter the incarnation, turtles will rouse your anger. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? That's sort of like fixing a problem, too, because uh, I don't like venerate Eastman and Laird as this like holy creator. Gee, I've heard that in the second Turtles movie, we're talking like Secret of the Ooze, yeah. um, that the reason why they're Toka and Razar is because they hated Bebop and Rocksteady and wouldn't let them be in the movie. Hmm. What a ripoff. <laughs> like, talk about not what anybody wanted. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's kind of like how that He-Man movie had like Blade and the lizard yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, also, they had no budget. And speaking of low budget, uh, once we get past the good animation, I talk about those all those designs I like. Everyone else, all the background characters and secondary guys, are almost rock and wrestling. Oh yeah, oh, they yeah, kind of suck. Bad. And also, also. Also, that the animation doesn't elevate really fails to hide how blah the backgrounds are on this show. <laughs> They're terrible. Yeah, I was looking at that pizza making oven and I like I was like, man, why does it have to be at weird angles and stuff like it mushrooms outward like a big cartoon oven? Like, oh, mm. the colors are bad. The strokes are bad. I don't like it. Um, I teased something about making pizza earlier. OK, so. I worked at Pizza Hut for a while and don't brag. (laughs) There was this one time where they had this promotion where with certain pizzas or numbers of pizza, I can't remember what, but you get a DVD and Mm. they had, uh, there was uh, several to choose from weekend at Bernie's two, (laughs) two, uh, lost in space. There was something else, but Mm. of course the, the, the chase one, was Teenage Mutant mm-hmm. Ninja Turtles. Okay, yeah. And then we got a communique from Pizza Hut's head office. And they're like, stop giving out the Ninja Turtle ones. Destroy them all. Whoa. And I knew why, because I had watched it. I Yeah? Yeah, I, I took one of each DVD. Um, why? Is it, like, uh, is it like Domino's Pizza in there or something? Exactly. Every time they order pizza, there's this huge shot on the screen of like the Domino's pizza box filling the screen with a human hand holding it and then a green hand taking it and then moving it away. And I just laughed so hard. I was like, oh, my God, we're giving away these DVDs at Pizza Hut and it's Domino's promotion all over the place. It makes no sense because like Pizza Hut promotions are even in the video games. Weird. Why did nobody notice that earlier? <laughs> I still like that. I, I can watch that movie again. I like it. Yeah. It's got good heart. All right. Anyway, I think we need to put these turtles to bed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I've, I've had enough for a while of TMNT. Well, good. I got something totally different. Okay. So this week we watched four random episodes 
of a cartoon. Yeah. Next week, we're going to watch eight specific half episodes of a cartoon. Oh. So basically the same amount of time. Uh, I guess. And yeah. what time is it? Adventure oh, time. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I got eight. This is. Hmm? Yeah, this is definitely your pick. Yeah. yeah, I got eight specific episodes that I want to watch. And I've been thinking okay. about doing this for a while. And I just the craving couldn't stop me or I, I couldn't stop the craving. I I could crave it. I, I still craved it. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to watch the full story of the Earl of Lemongrab. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just for a little bit of background here, uh, the first episode does kind of throw you in with a weird plot twist that you might not understand unless it's explained in advance. So if you really want to know the full story, there are two other episodes that you need to watch, which are Mortal Folly and Mortal Recoil. But if you don't want to put in the effort, the long and short of it is that something happens to Princess Bubblegum and she is age regressed from her normal 18 year old state to a 13 year old state, the same age as Finn. Oh, so that's where we are as we head into this tale. Princess Bubblegum is 13. The eight, Mm. the eight episodes are too young uh, you made me all your fault. Another five more short grables. Hmm. Too old. Lemon Hope Part One. Lemon Hope Part Two, and the Mountain. Ah, what a saga! Okay, yeah, the amazing ballad of the Earl of Lemongrab, and that's next time. Hmm. Cool. Oh, by the way, if you're interested, there is there are two other episodes that have Lemon Grab in them, although it doesn't contribute to his full story. Those episodes are Mystery Dungeon and the non-canon special Diamonds and Lemons. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Can't wait till next week. Well, until next week. Let us know what you think of this show and what you think we should review and what you think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and what your favorite pizza toppings are. I am at AC Matsy. Also, what's your Battletoad Sona? I am at Drab's Watch. Now, let's uh, close out with something fun, a booster opening. Let's see. Uh, We have a lightning bolt. Ooh, wow. Lord of D. Yeah. Zubat, of course, it's like my 20th of those. Another crust toothpaste that makes four a playset. And the chase rare, the celery stalker slogan. I crave pizza no more.